0: It is good to be back with you today. Uh, I know you guys have been going through the Gospel of John for quite some time now. And we're going to go back in the Gospel of John today to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. So if you brought a Bible with you, you can open there. I know Eric preached on this a while ago. And uh, he preached on a bigger text than what I'm going to preach on today. And so I'll have a slightly different point I wanna emphasize than what Eric did. Even though Eric's message was very good and it was still very true, I'm just gonna emphasize a different point. And as you're turning there, I don't know if your family's much like mine, but in my family, we uh, sometimes ask really foolish, obvious questions to one another. Um, for example, I'll walk into the living room, and I'll see my wife, Jill, she's reading on her Kindle. And I'll say, hey, what you doing, reading on your Kindle? <laughs> she loves it when I do that. She's like, yep, I'm reading on my Kindle. Um, but there's other times when I ask really obvious questions that are helpful. Like we're near in the end. We're still in school at EPG, Monday or Tuesday's our last day. And I think, yes, amen there. Uh, I think about every day during the school year, my youngest has asked me, Dad, have you seen my shoes? And I say, did you check the shoe bin? To which she goes and looks in the shoe bin. Oh, well, you know, magically a parent must have put those shoes in the shoe bin. So sometimes they're really helpful, but I've also noticed that this trait of mine of asking the obvious question has been passed down to my own children. A few weeks ago, me and my son were driving home from an open gym, and he was, like, messing with his phone in the car or something like that. I forget what he was looking at. And he's hearing this noise hit the car in the outside, and he goes, Dad, is that snow? I'm like, Sam, it's May. Do you think it's snowing out right now? That's bugs hitting the car window. Like, open your eyes. Come on. But what can I say? The apple doesn't fall 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 far from the tree. And so in John chapter 5, we're going to see Jesus ask a really obvious question. He says to a man who's been paralyzed, do you want to be healed? That seems like a really obvious question. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 5, and I'm, let me read through those. John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been, the, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So I want to stop there, and that's all we're going to look at, and I first want to deal with verse 4 there in that passage, and then we'll talk about that question, do you want to be healed? Now is there anyone here today that has a King James version of the Bible? No? New King James, does it have verse 4 in New King James? All right. So New King James has it. If most of you have a modern English translation, you're probably seeing that there is no verse 4 in there. Uh, Eric talked about this when he preached on it, so I'm just going to cover it briefly. But what's going on there is the oldest and best Greek manuscripts we have of John's gospel does not have verse 4 in there. But the later Greek manuscripts that they found, because there's, there's thousands of manuscripts, the later ones they found has verse 4 in there. And so what scholars think happened is that the people who are making copies of the manuscript put a footnote in there to explain what was going on. And that's what verse 4 is. I'm going to read it to you here. So it goes right after verse 3 when... There lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, lame, and paralyzed. And then it says, Waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. And whoever stepped in first after stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. And so what the copyist is doing there is he's telling us what's going on, why they're all laying Around the pool and what they believed and as you can see that would fit perfectly with how the man responds there in verse 7 when he says there's no one to put me in the wire when it's stirred up so more than likely they believed that an angel of the lord came down stirred up the water and it had healing properties now you may be in here and you may be saying to yourself well that's why you can't trust the bible Is because they just put in and take out whatever they want. It's men copying it. How can you even trust that thing? But see, this actually makes me trust it more. Because they're not just blindly saying, we want this and we don't want that. They're being open and honest with what all the manuscripts say, which are thousands of Greek manuscripts that we have. And they're saying, hey, this isn't in the oldest and best. It's in some of the newer ones. So in a lot of your English translations, there's even a footnote at the bottom there, which I think um, or good on their part for them doing that and being open and honest. <clears throat> but if you have more questions about that, you can email me, email Eric, like talk to someone. We can help you understand that now or later. But what we do know for sure, we know there's a man lying around this pool who's paralyzed. And he's been that way for 38 years. Can you imagine laying there for 38 years during that time? Like they didn't have any programs or helps back then. There wasn't a -A Make-A-Wish Foundation. He just laid there by the pool for 38 years. It was a situation of hopelessness. And yet we know that with Jesus, those are situations he most often works in. But look at how he, or verse 6 says that Jesus looks at him. He sees him lying there. He knew that he had been there for a long time. And so he walks up to this man and he says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Just seems like a foolish and obvious question when he knew he had been there for so long, almost a hurtful question to ask someone that. Of course. But we know Jesus, he never asks a dumb question. He's, He's getting at something here. And the sick man responded, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water, or into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. I mean, here you have God in the flesh, the creator, asking him, do you want to be healed? And the man doesn't even answer the question. He just tells him why he's not healed. And I wonder how I would respond if Jesus was to ask me, do you want to be healed? Because even though I can walk and physically I'm fine, there's still aspects of my life where I need Jesus to do a work in me. And I've wondered how the church would respond if Jesus would say, do you want to be healed? Now the rest of this chapter doesn't exactly paint this man in the brightest light. He's not someone we would imitate in the faith. And so I don't think he is saying, oh kind sir, I've tried my hardest to get in the pool. Would you be willing to help me? I don't think that's how he... Response: I think he's annoyed by Jesus' question. Like, no one can put me in. I've tried to get in. I can't get in. Kind of harsh towards him. It's not my fault. But as I said, Jesus, he's he's asking this question for a reason. He's trying to unearth something in him and in us today, I believe. And so if you think about this This paralyzed man, if he truly believed that these waters would heal him, wouldn't you just, like, lay down by the edge of the pool so you could just kind of roll in as soon as you saw him stirred? Like, if this was your only hope and you were truly paralyzed, I would be willing to do anything to be the first one in those waters. Anything. And yet he's been laying there for 38 years. Do you want to be healed? I thought of five reasons this morning that I want to go through that kind of show us that truly, deep down in our hearts, we can often restrict the healing that the Lord wants to do. And I want to walk through those. And when I say healing, uh, let me just explain that. I'm talking possibly physical healing, I'm talking about sanctifying, which means growing in Christ-likeness, that the Lord's rooting out sin in our lives and transforming us, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, from one degree of glory to the next. And I'm also talking about when we have, like, these wounds from things that have happened to us in the past that we haven't really ever gotten over. I'm talking about all three of those for when I say, do you want to be healed, and so let's, let's go through these reasons why we so often don't want to be healed. Because we as a people, we're really good at coming up with excuses and blame shifting and having a victimhood mentality. I just quickly named three right there. But ever since the fall in the uh, Garden of Eden, we've been inflicted with this sin nature. And we see Adam and Eve... What happens when God says, where were you, Adam? What does he do right away? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's that woman you gave me. She gave me the apple. Or fruit, I should say. We don't know if it's an apple. And then he approaches Eve and says, what did you do? That's it's not my fault. It's the serpent. Like we, we shift the blame. We have excuses. And how often have you read a command in the Bible or heard a sermon, and then you come up with just all kinds of reasons on why that doesn't apply to you. Like, we do this. God, you didn't make me that way. You don't know my situation. You don't understand how hard it is. You don't understand what happened to me. Just a few weeks ago, we we have a staff meeting on Mondays, and Andy, he's our senior pastor there at the church, and he was talking to me, about how, you know, we need to be among the people. We need to get to know the people. We need to meet new people. We need to know what they're doing in life. We, he gets really excited about people. And so as he's talking about people, he's just getting energetic, and we got to do this, and we got to do that, and we got to do this. And the whole time in my head, I'm just thinking, you're so annoying. <laughs> like, why are you the way that you are? Because see, I can very easily in my head just justify and be like, but Andy, I'm an introvert. I'm an I'm a Enneagram 7 with a mind type 2. Like, I can't go meet people like that. That's not what I'm about. And I have no idea what the Enneagram numbers are. I have no idea. I just throw that out. What I mean is that often what we, when we take those personality tests, we're like, They become a self-fulfilling prophecy for us. And we can sometimes use those to make excuses on not loving people, what God calls us to. And just because you may be introvert, extrovert, the Lord still calls us to love people. Like, yeah, it may be harder for me than him, but yet the command's still the same but we make excuses. Do you want to be healed? Or we we blame shift, like the man was saying, no one will put me in the pool. It's not my fault, Lord. How often we do this. The church doesn't equip me enough to share my faith. It's not my fault. I don't know what to say. They need to do a better job of equipping me. They don't have any programs for me to learn in. I need to be equipped better. Or my parents, it was the way they brought me up. Or I had a terrible experience at school. I didn't have the best opportunities. It's not my fault. Before I was a pastor, I co-owned a painting business with a friend from high school. And uh, we had, I remember one day in particular, I had an employee that showed up an hour late. It wasn't Matt, by the way, Renee. It was someone else. And uh, <clears throat> Matt, her son, worked for me for uh, two summers, and this guy showed up hour late, and I look at him, I'm like, hey, why are you late? And he says, well, my mom didn't wake me up. <laughs> I don't even know if I said anything to him, because I'm just like, why wouldn't you lie to me? Like, why would you tell me your mom didn't wake you up? You're a 20-year-old man, and you're telling me your mom didn't wake you up. Oh, I think I just told him to go get a brush and just kind of put it aside. But it's like we just blame shift. It's not my fault. When Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Another part of that is why I said our identity, the victimhood mentality and how we see ourselves. I'm sure that this man had that. Lying there for 38 years you would have some identity issues there. Does this happen to us? Absolutely. What do we all agree on? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like, this is the way I am. I cannot, I've always been this way. I've always struggled with anxiety. I've always been an addict. I've always been one to hold grudges. I've always, just fill in the blank, what we've always been like. I've never been someone who can share my faith. I've never been someone who enjoys singing. I've never been someone who reads the Bible. I hear that last one, the reading the Bible, often with with men more. I don't know why, what the difference is between men and women. But I always think to myself, do we believe that God raised the dead? To which most people are like, yeah. Yeah. I believe God can raise the dead. Okay, so the same spirit who is in him who raised Jesus from dead now lives in you. And yet, God can't make you a reader of the Bible? Like, if he raises the dead, he can make you enjoy reading the Bible. Like, just ask, say, Lord, help me read the Bible. I'm not saying we have to sit down and read the whole thing, but read a chapter. It's two minutes long, and... Ask the Lord to give you a heart that wants that more and see what he does. Like Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He doesn't ask what you've always been like. He's wanting to do a new work in you. Do you want to be healed? So those are the first three reasons I went through very quickly. We have excuses, we blame shift, we have a victimhood mentality. This is number four now. Why I think many of us don't experience the healing of God is that oftentimes, when to get the healing, it takes work and faith. Work and faith. Do you want to be healed? is an interesting question because on the surface it's easy. Of course I do. But if you dig down, it changes a little bit. For example, if I ask you a question, do you want to go to heaven where there's no more hardship or pain? Who wouldn't say yes to that? Like everyone I know would say yes to that. But if I say, are you willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, renounce all that you have, follow Jesus Christ in all your ways? That's a different story. It's like asking a thief, do you want to be let out of prison? Yes. Are you willing to be a righteous and honest man? Mm, I don't know. See, this, for this man that experienced physical healing, he had to follow through on what Jesus commanded him to do. Which, in this case, it wasn't much. Pick up your bed, or get up, pick up your bed, and walk. It doesn't seem like he had to have much work or faith. Jesus just miraculously healed him. And I wish it happened like that every time. I could just say, who wants healing? Stand up, and we'd stand up and be healed. But often, spiritual healing and at times physical healing, whatever it is, it, it takes more work and effort. And we see this command in the scriptures, Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work, effort, strive, sacrifice, that's ingredients that it takes often to experience more of the Lord's healing and ultimately more of the Lord, is what we ultimately want remember another time when I was trying to help someone out and he uh, we had to help them out financially and uh, I wanted to help him get a job get on his feet and I searched and found him a job and it was going to be I thought it'd be a foot in a door and I was really excited I was like hey I got a job for you like this is going to be great could be a turning point in your life and he's like, eh, I don't want to do that. Like if I do that, I'm gonna lose out on what I'm getting right now, and so I'm not gonna work. And I was just like, uh oh. like and I'm not I'm not making a comment about any political or government, like the way a system's up, there's there's broken systems everywhere. But my point is, <clears throat> if you're unwilling to put forth effort, then you're probably not gonna experience the blessing that comes with that. I often see this too with counseling. Like when I meet with people and they, they want to experience more of God in their life and so I'll give them a little bit of like growth assignments to do, a little bit of work to do in between the meetings and yet they'll come back and have none of it done and not give forth any effort and it's like well, Maybe the Lord will miraculously come to you. I hope he does, but more than likely, it takes some effort to know the Lord a little bit. And doesn't that make sense in a relationship? Like, in any relationship you're in, it takes effort to grow in that relationship. Sin in our life, it brings pain, separation from God, leads us to destruction. It takes effort to get rid of it. To put it to death. That's why Jesus says if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. There's a willingness to cut out anything in our lives that is unappealing to the Lord, that's unholy to the Lord. If you're always angry and anxious after you watch the news, stop watching so much of it. If you have an addiction to porn on the internet, get rid of the computer. Or think about James 5.16, how good this is. I I love the clarity of the Bible here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. (laughs) That's simple, right? You don't need a seminary degree to understand that verse. And yet, I wonder how often we're doing that. I find that the practice of confessing sins to one another is not a practice that very many Christians do on a regular basis, at least I should say. And so when church, I ask you, do you want to be healed? Maybe a better question is, are you willing to live out James 5.16 to be healed? Are you willing to confess sins to one another And pray for one another that you may be healed. When I was talking about this with a a young man in our church, and it's such a a great story. Uh, It's been so neat to watch how the Lord's worked in his life. And we talked about confessing sin and praying for one another. And he was convicted. There is a sin in his life that he committed uh, 10 or 11 years ago, and he, like, told no one, never spoken about it to anyone, and he confessed it to me, and then he said he was going to go back to the person and apologize and confess it to them, <laughs> and then we prayed together, and this shame that has been, that he didn't even realize he was in, was lifted, and he's like, I feel like I can breathe, and you didn't even realize it. Like, shame is one of these weird things where you can go through life and yet walk in this cloud of shame. And yet when you confess that to the Lord and to one another and pray for healing there, oh, this is like you can breathe again. Like you can have new eyes. One of the reasons that clogs us up that we don't experience the Lord's, Healing is we're unwilling to do the work and the faith that it takes to experience that. The fifth and and final reason I want to talk about here this morning is what are you looking to for your healing? What do you look to? This man here in John 5, his hope was in the superstitious, magical stirring of the water. That an angel supposedly would only give the water enough power to heal one person, the first one in, when the true healer was right in front of them. In the Old Testament, when God reveals his name, he reveals his character, who he is. In Exodus 15, 26, it says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, And do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all His statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. He is a God who heals. It's not just something he does. It's part of his character. When you see Jesus come onto the scene in the Gospels, who's God in the flesh, what do you see all over the Gospels? You see Jesus just healing people left and right all over the place because it's who he is. He heals people who has faith in him, and sometimes, as we see here in John 5, even when someone doesn't necessarily have faith in him, but the majority of the time, it's for those who have faith in him. Now, I am in no way saying that whenever we have a physical illness, we should not go to the doctor and just pray for healing. No, go to the doctor, get checked out. But at the same time, put your hope in Jesus, not in medicine. I know there are also wounds and hurts in this room that doctors can't heal. heal Residual pain that's been there for years And the Lord is the one who can heal that. Maybe it's something happened to you years ago. Maybe it's something that happened just this week. But the Lord can heal that. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Don't go through the Christian life and just white-knuckle it. And just bury it and bury it and bury it and say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, all the while you're walking with a broken leg. And you're like, No, it's okay, I'm fine. And you just become used to that limp when the Lord has so much more for us. And so, church, do you want to be healed? Do you want to experience the healing of the Lord? I want to end our time today with giving you some time to do business with the Lord. I want to to guide us through a time of prayer a little bit here to end our time. And as I was writing this and thinking about it, I, I had the picture. You know how the garden hoses, when they're all kinked up, like there's some water that can flow through there but it's more of a trickle. And often our, our sin, our wounds, it's like a kinked up heart is what we have. And, it, and the Lord has more for us. He equates the, the Holy Spirit as living water that flows through us. And I want you to experience more of Him in that. And so if you would... One other thing I always want to say too, like in the prayer time, one of my friends did this, and you may think it's weird and you don't have to do it at all, but it helps me in the posture of my heart before the Lord. Like I just put my hands out like this, just looking to receive from the Lord. And you may be like, Grant, you're weird, I'm not doing that. And that's fine. It's not good. It's not magical or anything like that. But what it does, as I said, it helps me have a heart posture of like, Lord, I want to receive from you. I want you to do a work in me. And so if that's helpful, you can do that. But if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and, and let's go to the Lord, and I'll, I'll kind of guide us through this prayer and give you time to, to talk with the Lord here. And as Jesus says, do you want to be healed? How do you respond to that? If you're in here and you're not a believer, you've never accepted Christ, I want to encourage you in order to experience the Lord, you need to turn from your sin and call upon Jesus Christ. Ask him to bring healing to your life and that he would be your Lord and Savior. And I know for a lot of you in here, you may already be a Christian. And maybe there's a specific area that the Lord has put on your heart as you've been listening to this message. Maybe it's anger, lust, unforgiveness is a big one in so many of us. Maybe it's a physical healing that you need. Ask the Lord now to come into that specific area and to grant you healing. And if there's something that the Lord brought to your mind, I want to encourage you to share that with another believer today. Or if you just need prayer for something, I would encourage you to seek someone out and pray. I would love to pray with you after the service, but let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Almighty, You are the one who heals, who binds up the brokenhearted. And Father, we're thankful for the way that you do give us life. And as we sang earlier, by your grace and grace alone, we thank you that we do not have to earn your love, Lord, but that you come to us. And especially as I think about as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper that you have shed your blood and sacrificed your body so that we can be saved. And Lord, may you continue to do your sanctifying work in among us and that we would be transformed more and more into your image, Lord. We thank you for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.